Whoever you are, we welcome you. Wherever you come from, we welcome you. Whomever you love, we welcome you. And whatever you have done, we welcome you. My name is Christopher Dumb, and it is my privilege today to serve as worship leader for today's service. I'm joined by Reverend Christy Anderson as our worship associate, and we are delighted to welcome you to this religious community. At this time, I would like to invite David Brokaw to help us light our chalice this morning. And as, <laughs> as David lights our chalice, I offer these words written by Austin, who is a participant in the ID13 Prison Literacy Project. And this is a piece by him called A Small Needful Fact. A needful fact that all the same we are born of stars, sun-forged atoms assembled to autonomy, imperfect however complex. None of these assemblies has any right or need to exercise dominion or death to begin another's decay, giving it back to the sky and earth. Such is our choice. Freedom is a right to breathe. Paul and Silas were bound in jail, had no money to buy their own bail. Keep your eyes on the prize, hold on. Well, Paul and Silas began to shout, the jail door opened and then they walked out. Keep your eyes on the prize, hold on, hold on, hold on. Keep your eyes on the prize, hold on. Freedom's name is mighty sweet, and you know soon that we're gonna meet. Keep your eyes on the prize, hold on. Got my hand on the gospel plow, I won't take nothing for my journey now. Keep your eyes on the prize, hold on. Hold on, hold on. Keep your eyes on the prize, hold on. There's just one chain a man can stand That's the chain of a hand in hand Keep your eyes on the prize, hold on Well, I'm gonna bore that old greyhound Carry the love from town to town Keep your eyes on the prize, hold on Hold on, hold on Now there's just one thing that we did wrong Staying in the wilderness a day too long Keep your eyes on the prize, hold on But there's one thing that we did right That was the day we started the fight Keep your eyes on the prize, hold on Hold on, hold on Hold on. 
Not long after the arrival of our previous settled minister, Reverend Melissa Carvel Zemer, she extended an invitation to me. She was looking for a local social justice project, enabling her to have opportunity for hands-on work. She asked me if I would be interested in working with her on a prison ministry at the private federal prison in Youngstown. Normally, I would have jumped at the opportunity to work with our new minister, but in this case, I immediately turned it down. I wanted nothing to do with criminals. Although I liked to consider myself as unbiased, this was one of my most entrenched prejudices, and I was not shy about revealing it. Honesty was a black and white matter for me. I had no compassion for a dishonest individual whose actions hurt another. I believed that laws were just, enforcement and sentencing were fair, and people should be punished for wrongdoing. My beliefs were absolute and uninformed. Fifteen years later, I stand here as someone who promotes the inclusion of former offenders as volunteers at Kent Social Services, where I work. I advocate for large-scale criminal justice reform. And most significantly, I include several ex-offenders among my circle of friends. Like many people who undergo transformations in beliefs, my change in attitude occurred due to personal relationships. I've been blessed with opportunities to get to know quite a few people who have served time in jail. For example, I already liked an individual whom I'd known for several years when, to my shock, he was convicted for having child pornography on his computer. I spent time listening to stories and growing to deeply care for a homeless man before I learned of his felony conviction. More recently, I've worked alongside prisoners from the Portage County Jail at the Christmas toy distribution, where my heart was softened by hearing their sorrow that they would miss being with their children for the holidays and their lament that they had no toys to give their child for Christmas. I heard their expressions about how meaningful it was to be able to contribute to others by helping with the toy sorting. These experiences reinforced a lesson that I heard here at church, a lesson that reminds us that humans are complex. We're not all good or all bad. We are all capable of bad behavior, poor judgments, impulsive reactions, and outright stupidity. I also recognize that due to circumstances dictated by our place and upbringing in society, we could very well have engaged in criminal behavior if we had been exposed to the same influences. We're pleased that you're here today as we lift up the humanity of the faceless people in the orange jumpsuits who are known by a number. 
Come, let us worship together. As we covenant here together, we are joined today by the voices of members of the ID13 Prison Literacy Project. These individuals are incarcerated here in the state of Ohio. And as a co-founder of this project, I help facilitate running workshops in Lake Erie Correctional Institution with these incarcerated individuals, asking them to write creatively in response to various writing prompts. And I would like to share with you now the words of King DJ. And he was asked to reflect on the simple or maybe not so simple question. Are you a pen or a pencil? And DJ writes, a pencil, of course. I have and I will erase bad habits and traits that I've become accustomed to. And by me being a pencil and not a pen, I can start fresh at things, and you'll never know of the things I've erased unless I tell you. You can say I have a good eraser. Just writing this, I've erased three times. I sometimes tend to start things without putting much thought into, so I have to start over. Thank God for erasers. To sum it all up, pencils are temporary, and pens are permanent, and everybody deserves a second chance. And I would now like to welcome you, if you are willing and able, to use that pencil and that pad of paper I gave you this morning. Just take a few moments and, if you would, write your own reflection, just answering if you are a pen or a pencil. The ushers will collect these um, while we sing the children out. If you are willing, um, if you'd be so kind as to tear off what you've written and pass it to the aisle, and I'll have the ushers come forward to collect them. I'd be happy to share some of these with you later in the service. Let us now enter into a time of prayer. We hold in our hearts the farmers and others whose livelihoods have been swept away with the floodwaters this planting season. We pray that our leaders and fellow citizens recognize the urgent need to address the adverse human impact upon our beloved earth. We hold in our hearts immigrants and citizens who suffer due to intolerance and oppression. We pray that all of us, our leaders, fellow citizens, and ourselves, grow in compassion and recognition of our common humanity. O oh, spirit of love, may we go forth wrapped in the warm embrace of your love. And thus empowered, may our hands and hearts embody love as we pursue the path of justice. May it be so, amen.
We have two readings today, and they both come from members of ID13, incarcerated or formerly incarcerated individuals. This first reading comes from Wesley Dermeyer, and he's writing, in order to remind us how memories talk and tell you about a person and where they come from, and that the tiny small memories are always the ones that can tell you the most about someone. And in this piece, it is called Where I'm From. I'm from little chipped blue coffee cups, heart-covered ceramic plates. I'm from the dirt pit in the backyard, wasted hours and toys. I'm from the shed, trapped waiting in a hailstorm, holding on to big shaggy dogs. I'm from the little green Tonka train riding through the house. I'm from the church centers now, entire family packed in. I'm from the sound of open fields, wind-blowing leaves, yet I'm still from the crowded streets walking home alone. I'm from the empty house, microwave dinner. Now I'm from the crowded apartment filled with dolls and makeup. I'm from the bad father, only lesson was how to be a good one. In my room is my staple, my lifeline, my jukebox. Filling the sound with happier times and sad memories, carrying on the party for everyone else. And this next reading comes from an incarcerated writer who goes by the pen name Jay Shreffy. And in this piece, he was asked to write about an emotion. And this piece is called Anger. Anger, you make the wise man dense. You surge through veins as a potent narcotic, crippling all logic and reason. You are a drop of black dye in a clear glass of water, seeping steadily into loving hearts until chaos is all they can see. You are a handicap to those ensnared by your ways, a blemish upon mankind's complexion. You work tirelessly to bring discord between family and friends, neighbors, whites and blacks, between hilarious trumpeteers, between those who serve and those who abide. Surely your nature's birth defect, for what good have we for you, your divisive ways? There are no 12-step or management courses designed to quell the effects of love. No need for apologies after acting out in its passion. With you comes havoc and disunity, pain and strife, you blind us to the peaceful ways by which we might settle our differences, to the ways by which we might all enjoy this life. You won't be happy until we are all at war, battling it out until we've forgotten what it's even for. Anger. There's an astigmatism to your vision. Your sight is untrue. When you look up, remember that through the haze of red, the sky is really blue. For the past three years, I've found myself in a unique position. Every, every other Wednesday morning, I wake up, and I pick an outfit out, and I make myself breakfast, and I go to prison. And every other Wednesday afternoon, after spending an hour and a half with many talented incarcerated writers, I walk across the yard through five sets of security doors, and I get out of prison. And I come home a free person. And every time I walk into this church, which I tell myself should be more often, I'm welcomed to worship with all of you. And welcome is built into our service in an explicit manner. We, whoever you are, we welcome you. Wherever you come from, we welcome you. 
whomever you love, we welcome you. And today I want us to consider what it would mean to extend that welcome to say whatever you have done, we welcome you. What would it mean for us to explicitly share space with someone who has been to prison, who has been defined by their transgression against society? I grew up attending May Memorial Unitarian Universalist Society in Syracuse, New York. And our minister would welcome us to worship by saying, may no one be a stranger. And when I was a teenager, our congregation welcomed a man into our place of worship who had served six months at the Allenwood, Pennsylvania Federal Prison Camp. And this man had been convicted of criminal trespass for protesting at his what is, uh, for protesting at his what is now called the Western Hemisphere Institute for Security Cooperation. And at the time, it was known as the U.S. Army School of Americas. And truth be told, the man who we welcomed into our place of worship from this prison camp was no stranger at all. In fact, his name was Nick Cardell. And every Sunday, he would welcome us to worship by saying, may no one be a stranger. And considering our minister's crime and the manner in which it occurred, protesting a school whose graduates have perpetuated human rights violations, welcoming him back to May Memorial to worship with us was an easy decision. And that his actions were in defense of the UU values that we hold dear, such as justice, equity, and compassion in human relations, as well as working toward a world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all. Moreover, many heroes of mine, and I imagine heroes of yours, broke laws and engaged in civil disobedience as they fought for women's suffrage, as they fought against racial segregation, as they fought for safe places to love. And perhaps we would welcome them to worship with us despite or perhaps encouraged by who they are and what they have done. But despite our wish to follow the first UU principle to affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of every person, perhaps welcoming those with criminal backgrounds might test that resolve. The readings that I share with you today, as I mentioned, come from the ID13 Prison Literacy Project, a writing group that I facilitate at the privately run Lake Erie Correctional Institution in Conneaut, Ohio, less than two hours away. And the writers you heard from today, the crimes they were convicted of range from domestic violence, to kidnapping, to sexual assault, to murder. And there's a possibility that one of them, one day all of them could be released from prison. And if one of them or anyone else who had done something that society deemed worthy of incarceration came to us to worship, how would we rise to the challenge of welcoming them? There are those who believe that certain individuals do not belong in our worship communities. Our former director of ministry for the UUA took this position in a 1991 article writing, my own bias is this, based on what I know now, that an identified pedophile should not be part of congregational life. They must cease any physical presence. In fact, the UUA has sought to address this very issue by creating a manual that lays out guidelines for how to proceed when someone who's been convicted of a sexual offense wants to be part of a congregation or when an existing member is accused of a sexual offense. And I'm not here today to talk about the specifics of those policies, but rather to remind us that this beautiful offering and challenge of Unitarian Universalism calls on us to affirm the worth and promote the worth and dignity of every person, whatever they have done. 
And this is a challenge because for many reasons, whether it be our own personal experiences, the events unfolding in the country and the world around us, there's hurt and harm in the world, and there's no denying that some of us and those we care about have been seriously hurt and harmed by somebody else. And how might we reconcile the harm that someone has caused to us or others with the principles of Unitarian Universalism that we seek to affirm and promote? Where can we find the direction, the impetus to bridge connection between those behind bars and us on the outside? Well, we can begin with the acknowledgement that the operation of our justice system, so much of what happens behind these fences, is at odds with many of our Unitarian Universalist principles. As E.L. tells us, and they quote in your order of service, behind these fences, sleep, counted, eat, play, counted, eat, sleep, repeat, a bunk and a number become a tomb and a tombstone. And behind these fences, I believe it's where humanity and our UU principles are needed the most. In Cuyahoga County Jail, individuals are strapped into restraint chairs, pepper sprayed and beaten, and numerous jailed persons have died with unexplained or insufficient answers about the cause of death. A report about the facility also cited the intentional and deliberate use of food as a punitive measure, not allowing individuals access to showers, the denial of housing privileges to which individuals are entitled, non-compliance with the Prison Rape Elimination Act, operation over capacity, and the fact that facility staff could not demonstrate that they could safely evacuate detained persons from the jail in the case of an emergency. Consider that at the end of October 2018, there were over 2,000 people on death row in the United States. It's a country that executes its own citizens in line with our principles, especially considering concerns about guilt. On March 28th of this year, the 165th person was exonerated from death row. Some go as far to argue that these exonerations show that the system is actually working the way it should, in order to believe that, your eyes would have to be sealed shut. But as Unitarian Universalists in search to live with accordance with our seven principles, that requires our eyes to be open to the world, to injustice and to those around us, and to understand that if we are to be a part of an interdependent web of existence, then we need to extend ourselves to the 2.2 million people who endure life in our prisons and jails. We need to connect. And I share with you today a selection of poetry by incarcerated writers precisely because poetry, it moves us, it creates emotions and feelings, it forces us to think and to connect. Reverend James Kubal Komodo of the Saltwater Church in Des Moines, Washington, reminds us that religion means to connect again. And if people convicted of crimes can use their poetry to connect again to the world and those around them, and if we come together to worship, to connect again to the world and those around us, might we find and celebrate that common ground? If someone can move us with their words despite what they have done in their past, might that be a great testament to their inherent worth and dignity as a person? We often talk about poetry at the same time that we talk about verse, and verse comes from the Latin verses, meaning a turning speaking about the turning from the end of one line to the beginning of another. It might the power of verse reflect the power to turn from moments in our lives, to change, 
like King DJ talked about, to metaphorically erase the past or at least grow and change from it. Robert Frost writes, a poem begins with a lump in the throat, a homesickness or lovesickness. It is a reaching out towards expression, an effort to find fulfillment. And when I read the words of Jay Shreffy and King DJ, Wesley Dermeyer and Austin, in these words, behind these fences, I find hope for change. An effort to find fulfillment, I see search for truth and for meaning, and I see you and I see me. Kendall Gibbons of the First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis writes, no matter what anyone tells you, everybody walks through the door of the sanctuary expecting to be transformed. I want Wesley to walk through the door of this sanctuary in search of transformation. I want Austin to take one of our bookmarks and join us in affirming and promoting these seven principles in his life. And I'm hopeful that our congregation would feel the same because I know that we as a congregation care deeply about issues that affect those who are incarcerated, as evidenced by a recent collection from Mama's bailout. I'm hopeful because of our commitment to racial justice. Chris Crass, who visited us not long ago, writes that as an anti-racist faith community, our goal is to join the hearts and minds to the task of destroying white supremacy in every worldview, policy, law, institution, and governing body of our society. Does that not extend to a justice system that carries out death sentences tainted by racial disparity? And does that not apply to a prison system filled with casualties of a racist war on drugs? Let us remember that we have the power to affirm and promote our first principle and to take steps in the name of the worth and dignity of incarcerated and formerly incarcerated individuals. In early May, the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Correction, or ODRC, moved to ban incarcerated individuals from receiving free used books from organizations like Books to Prisoners, and instead, this ODRC aimed to force those in prison and their families to buy brand new books from selected private vendors. And people like you and me made phone calls, sent emails, and persuaded the ODRC to back down from this decision and to continue to allow great organizations like Books to Prisoners to do their work. And there is power in us to tackle these issues of mass incarceration, of felon disenfranchisement, which presents those with felony convictions from voting in our country. There's power in us to tackle inhumane prison conditions and the war on drugs. And I know there's power in this because I see power in the poetic words of those behind bars whom we are fighting for. King DJ used his power to remind us about the capacity and the importance of the need for change and a second chance. Don't change and second chance us, it's inspire us to grow spiritually and have a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. Wesley Dermeyer used his power to show us where he was from, connected to the interdependent web of all existence, through experiences and memories of his that mirror our own. Jay Shreffy used his power to warn us about the dangers of anger, the way it may surge through our veins as a potent narcotic crippling all logic and reason. And earlier, Austin used his power to remind us that we all come from the same stardust, born and perfect and complex. And if you would take a moment, close your eyes and listen to these words of power by E.L. This is his piece called Beyond Fantasy, and it goes, 
Can you see me in these words in the sound of the air as it ushers the oxygen combined with H2 and all solids and liquids? Can you see me through the windows to my soul, the ocular cavities that present its messages to the lightless void between my ears? Can't you see these thoughts, the vision of completion that is but isn't my only mentality? Can you see beyond the vast layers of mask that covers the beauties that is the natural form of me? Can you see the dancing rays playing with the darkness, the red orbs orbiting my silhouette, saturating the emptiness that is my caged reality? Can you see the challenges, the reachless heights of my deformities, my effortless efforts just to be? Can you see the beings behind the voices that operate on my decisions, like a doctor's precision incisions, blurring my good vision to do righteousness in the surgery of my life path? Can you see me spearheading the separation of science and math, the maniacal unachievable fact in the statement because clearly there is a division like light and time? Do you have the vision to see beyond the negative presumptions created by your own personal reflections and prejudgmental prejudice? Do you see I am you and everyone else is me? Can you see our similarities? Can you see that when the power of love overcomes the power of power that we can find peace? I was born Elijah before I came human, but can you see? Noticing that they kill the positive people and let the demons run free? What is the evil eye without the images you repeatedly show clearly? Open your mind and see beyond the fantasy. Now let us all open our eyes, our minds, and allow these words to stir us to action, to open our arms, our social networks, to use your power to welcome those, to lift up those who need your help, who need our help, re-entering society, recovering from the justice system that exists in this country, in the name of dwelling together, seeking truth and love and helping one another, no matter who someone is, where they come from, who they love, or what they have done. Let it be an amen. Several years ago, we did a survey of the aspects of church life that are important to us, and the social hour ranked among the top five <laughs> reasons. And it's more than just our caffeine addiction. Social hour is a time to build community and to express our hospitality to newcomers. So we give thanks to the individuals who take the time to set up, clean up, and provide us with refreshments and an opportunity to socialize every Sunday. In gratitude for our many ministries, we will now gratefully accept your contribution. and scars rushes in like a fallen star the narrow space between these bars looking down on prison grove shine on all these broken lights shine on shine the light shine the light of love dug in hunkered down Hours race without a sound Gonna carry me to where I'm bound Looking down on prison grove Iron will 
hard as a rock Hold me up for the fateful knock When they walk me down in a mortal lock Out on prison grove Shine on all these broken lives Shine on, shine the light of love Some folks have to die too hard some folks have to cry too hard Take one look at the prison yard Goodbye prison grove Shine on all these broken lives Shine on, shine the light of love Just as you are kind to offer your contributions during our offering, you're also very kind to offer your thoughts on pen or pencil status. And while there are way too many for me to read um, in their entirety, I'd just like to share a few with you today. I am a pen. Everything I have done and have been is part of who I am now. It does not disappear, though. I will often ignore my past writing. My goal is to learn from my past mistakes and the hope that my own failings, always there in their ink, will lead me toward greater compassion for others. I'm a pen because what I will accomplish in the world should not be erased. I want my impact to last and have an impact on others. My effect will be permanent, just like a pen. I'm a black drawing pen, swirling out designs, Sometimes predictable, sometimes not. Mistakes are incorporated into my overall design, always building upon the layers of myself. I'm a pen because I know I cannot erase the past. I'm a pen because I can make strong plans that cannot be washed away. Because I can see my errors, I can learn from them. And finally, I think I am a pencil because I'm a child. I have bad habits to give up so I can have a second chance. If you would like to learn more about the ID13 Prison Literacy Project, there are some pens and pins and bookmarks on the table outside the sanctuary. Go now in the world driven to confront and rectify the injustice that incurs behind these fences, driven with the reminder that we are all connected that we are more similar than different and that we all deserve a second chance. Amen. <laughs>